There's no question that our forests face a scary future. The real question is just how scary is it? Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's gotta be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of February 2nd, 2012. I'll start out by saying Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day. And we hope to not have this podcast repeat itself infinitely the way, if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, that one day does for Bill Murray. Although so. having it endlessly repeat would give me the opportunity to hear you say over and over the word February. Well, you know, the Brits do have something on us, don't they? <laughs> Correct pronunciation of certain words. I know what, how to pronounce the month that comes after January, but I won't embarrass you by pronouncing it correctly. I'll just let nah. you say February. Uh, you're, just, you're just using American pronunciation. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, your opening statement rings very true, that we acknowledge an uncertain future, Certainly, there's so much evidence of climate change that's already here and now. Um, we've noticed the, <clears throat> here it is, January, well, it was January, and we were noticing buds coming out on the, um, the fruit trees. And it's interesting, we do use the term an uncertain future, but honestly, I'm not sure we're all that uncertain about it now. I think it's pretty certain that it's going to be bad. Yeah, I would agree with that. When I say uncertain, you said earlier, how bad will it be? And, and we kind of know in what direction it's going to move. So um, we're trying to prepare for that. And that's the theme of the podcast today is what we can do to prepare ourselves. And in particular, the forest that surrounds us, because most of our farm really does consist of woodlands uh, from whence we will... Um, We've got to keep it healthy. We, we will hope to be gathering food from that area. Um, and certainly, we've got lovely trees that, not just for aesthetic purposes, but basically because you need trees to survive. They you know, help with the oxygen. They keep, we're on a hilly terrain that would have uh, severe erosion if we had no trees. And of course, there's wildlife that we want to attract. We just need for our forest to be a balanced ecosystem out there. So the challenges that forest faces come from several fronts. One you've already described, catastrophic climate change. It does appear now that we've waited too long, we've dilly-dallied for too much time, and now there's really no question that we are going to have to struggle with uh, an overall increase in the Earth's atmospheric temperature probably on the order of two plus degrees centigrade, which is a game changer yes, for it a really lot of is. species. Yeah. Um, including humans. That that's a separate question which we're not trying to get into today, but the outlook is not all that positive for the, the human species itself, but um, we won't try to deal with that. But the, the climate change is going to present all kinds of challenges to the forest. We know, for example, that our beloved American beech trees are probably doomed. We love the way they look. We love the way they grow. We love how they look this time of year when all the other leaves have dropped off the trees except the red oaks and the American beech. And 
They're just beautiful in the forest. And they, we may perhaps not lose those during our lifetimes. We're not sure how fast all this will take place. But with the hotter, drier climate that is predicted in some models and probably the most accepted models to be on the horizon, those American beech trees will be migrating north, possibly out of the, uh, the, what we consider the United States of America at some point. And we'll talk a little bit later about some species that actually could do pretty well. Right. We know that the outlook is, a, is much worse than it's portrayed to be in the mainstream media because the mainstream media are locked in this be happy, keep shopping mode, and they're always going to discount any bad news. What's fascinating to me is the possibility, a very real possibility, that climate change in our future is worse than portrayed in the scientific community. And the reason I speculate about that is that I'm afraid the scientists whom, to whom we are looking for straightforward information are so cowed, so intimidated by the mainstream media and by the poisonous atmosphere in our culture that I fear they're actually pulling punches on what they say. That is, discounting their own models, discounting their own predictions for fear of being labeled alarmist. Um, so it's entirely possible that we're not even getting the, the news in unvarnished form from the scientific community. Right, and I don't know that that's true in all cases, but it certainly seems to be that the media, I go back to the media again, um, wants to keep this debate alive. Yeah. Um, and when I say fact, that with, there's really not much of a debate There's not much left, of a debate, left. but it's good for their ratings, I'm sure, to try to additionally credit uh, the scientists who, um, and I kind of use that term loosely, who um, are still thinking that maybe the cause of our climate change is not man-made. And at this point, I think we just need to get over how did it happen and let's address it. So we've got that cluster of issues facing us. And then when we try to deal with those issues brought on by climate change, we're going to be doing it with a great deal less energy than we have available to us now. And I think that's going to be a challenge, the likes of which we really have not addressed as a society. And specifically petroleum will be Specifically low. petroleum. Um, so that's going to make it difficult. And those two issues together, I fear, are going to cause, a, to coupled with the financial collapse that we believe is very likely, are going to bring about a general breakdown of high quality governmental services. So a lot of the things that you would say, oh, well, the you know, extension agent can help you with that or the soil conservation service can help you with this, those will be uh, attenuated in their effectiveness by all of this. As a result, I think landowners are probably going to be on their own to a much greater extent in dealing with all of this than they are now. And that is coupled with, while this is not a climate change issue, what's happening with the economy, which we also don't expect to, in any long-term way, heal itself or get better. And that is, we're already seeing some of this now. Our own extension agent has 
I don't know how many counties she had to cover last year, maybe five or something, but now she's having to cover 14 because of largely cutbacks in funding. And there's no realistic way she can do that. She's right. going to do the best she can, and we have a wonderful extension agent. Thank you for everything you do, Mallory Kelly. But she shouldn't have to but go But she to should not counties. be trying to cover 14 counties. She knows it. We know it. Everyone knows it, but that's the the hand we were dealt. And, and as we're talking now with our sort of pessimistic <laughs> overview here, we just don't see the financial situation getting any better. So, uh, you know. So let's switch gears and talk about what we are now doing yeah, here on think, Longleaf Breeze. Think about something positive for a moment, which is we can do something. And all of us, even you listeners, you know, you can do something too. So the first thing we're doing is focusing on using the petroleum that is available to us now to open any trails that we want to have available to us through the forest. Opening trails is, by definition, a petroleum-intensive enterprise. Yes, you can do it by hand, but it sure is a whole lot slower and meaner. That's true. And we might mention why we want to have trails, not only for recreation and being able to walk, which we do, but also it enables us to get through all the thicket that we have on the property into areas so that we can see it, so we can reclaim it in some ways. Um, we just found that if we don't have those trails, we don't go there very much. and uh, so, so we know less about what's going on there. And yeah. yes, we are selfishly enjoying the use of this forest. And we love to walk through the forest and see what's going on. It's a source of real satisfaction and joy to you and me. It is. And it also is a way that we hope <clears throat> through education, others who might visit us here, if they don't have opportunities to walk around in a natural habitat, in other, uh, other circumstances, that perhaps we can provide that for people. So we're, we're kind of looking at it in that light for, toward the future as well. But we don't do any unnecessary clearing. I when, think that's a great point. You're right. We want to make sure that even as we're opening these trails, that we are doing so very carefully to minimize the forest cover that we're disrupting. Yes, and in fact, most of the trails that we've used the petroleum to open up have been along old, old logging trails so that you, usually if you are not familiar with what that might look like, the, you can see down the, it's a big open space where there are lots of tree stumps from larger pine trees that have been taken out. And so basically what's grown up is a lot of weeds, for one thing, and uh, because of and sun saplings and, and saplings, saplings, which, you know, it's not that I want to get rid of saplings, but if I have a choice between cutting a uh, path through mature hardwoods and healthy, you know, larger trees versus that cleared out, and, and in many cases pretty heavily damaged by the loggers kind of area, then we go for the the one that could use some cleanup anyway. And we're very careful as we blaze these trails to minimize the areas on either side of the trail that we disrupt. One of the other components of our strategy is whenever possible, we're trying to let the forest grow up on either side of every trail to provide shade from the canopy. What we've learned is when you blaze a trail and it's wide open, the weeds and turf and so forth grow a whole lot more aggressively. They love that sun, don't they? <laughs> and then we have to come in and bush hog more yeah. often. 
Yeah. So we're trying to uh, keep those trails covered in shade whenever and wherever possible so we have a minimum of bush hogging that we will need to do because bush hogging is by nature petroleum intensive as yeah. well. And, you know, the fact that um, the connection being, and I wanted to emphasize, sunlight is something that the weeds, well, there are some weeds, I'm sure, that can get by with minimal sunlight. I know that from having fought them out on Veg Hill <laughs> and putting cover over them and they live forever. But uh, it really will minimize the the weeds and stickers and thorns that come up in the trail that, as you said, you have to bush hog um, if they can't get sunlight. So, you know, we think that that'll be... Plus, it makes for a more pleasant feeling walk in the hot summertime to have that... that well, that's uh, true, too. ...that cover. But I would like to shift gears and talk about some planting that we've been doing lately that we think also is a way of adapting to the coming climate change, and that's planting longleaf pines. That's fresh on our minds because we just finished planting this year's tranche of longleafs. Uh, thank goodness for my older brother, Dave Borden. We get uh, a box of longleaf pines each year at uh, wholesale prices, and I, I guess it's been our practice for the last four years or so. Right, to plant them every year. To plant every a box of longleafs each year about this time. Yeah, a box is 330 pine trees. Uh, we pay about 20 cents a tree, or a little less than 20 cents actually. And um, we just walk around. You, you pick a spot. You say, there, I plant the dibble. You stick a tree in, and we close up the hole and move on. We can do it fairly quickly. They're very small, and maybe we'll have a picture you know, the seedling or something we can Maybe so. show. Uh, so that unless you, you picture us having to <laughs> take some big tree and put it in, we're not quite that doing that sort of thing. But they grow quickly, and we've been able with satisfaction to look around and see a tree that we planted four years ago or three years ago or two years ago and how well it's doing, how much they've grown since then. So We do have so. uh, many trees that we can point to and say we planted that we, we may not know exactly how many years ago it was, yeah. but we recognize that it's one that we planted. And now it's slowly moving out of the grass stage into adolescent stage. Uh, longleaf pines uh, get started slowly. The watchword for them is they sleep, creep, and leap, meaning uh, the first two or three years they just stay in the grass stage and then they creep upward and then once they get to that adolescent stage, they grow fairly quickly. Yeah, and, and, and we probably want to mention what does this have to do with adapting to the climate change. Good idea. I mentioned earlier that while the American beach is endangered for this region because of the coming hotter, drier climate, longleaf pines adapt well. In fact, like that kind of climate. So One they should thrive. One of the first revelations for us was a conversation with your colleague and friend Larry Davenport at Samford University. He's a biology professor? Yes, yes, and, and he's, but he's been to uh, conferences on climate change. He's very well informed and educated on that subject. And, and when we have asked him, what should we as landowners be doing, he has three words of advice. Plant longleaf pines that they'll be with you through the, through the new climate that's coming. Um, and, you know, as a matter of fact, just our own personal experience, whenever we go down toward Mobile or the Gulf Coast, you pass this uh, place along the interstate where you can see longleaf pines thriving. So clearly they're acclimated to the south. They are acclimated to that warmer uh, 
climate which we now believe is heading our way. So uh, we're, we're trying to get as many long leaves out as we can to strengthen the forest in the years to come. I, I will say right now our planting has tended to focus right here in the core campus and maybe next year we ought to intentionally move away from the core campus. And yes, and especially anywhere that is left bare by the logging because any trees that we plant will help to control erosion problems, and we can substantially decrease that by planting more longleaf pines. And we're generally trying to uh, limit disrupting the forest floor because erosion is an ever-present issue here yeah, at Longleaf yeah. Breeze. Our soil is sandy on the sandy side, um, it's in, and we are on a hillside, so it's um, inherently vulnerable to erosion. So that's one of the last things that we wanted to mention that we are now doing. We are very focused on limiting erosion. Right, and, and in whatever way we have to, depending on what that area needs to look like. For example, out by the orchard, the fruit orchard, where we didn't want to have shade uh, for those trees, we just used um, erosion control, you know, cloth over that to to keep right. the grass and in. And immediately planted grass seed as yeah. soon as we did the. In fact, I remember uh, we cleared on a weekend, and that Sunday afternoon, you and I were out in the rain spreading ryegrass That's seed right. because yeah. we knew how important it was for yeah. us to get that uh, that uh, grass established. And and I think we were successful. We did minimize the erosion. Yeah, it's done pretty on the well. Orchard floor. Well, let's talk before we go about what else we should be doing to help, especially out in our forest area. Well, you've talked on several occasions, both uh, in podcast and uh, offline with you, with, when you and I are just talking, about the need for us to begin using a controlled burn strategy on the forest floor. And you're absolutely right. That's one of those things we need to be doing. You and I both grew up in the 50s and 60s with Smokey the Bear um, ringing in our ears, only you can prevent forest fires. And we have the same fear of fire in the forest that all baby boomers have. The forestry companies were very focused about what they wanted to do. They wanted to make us afraid of any fire in the forest. Well, we now know that fire in the forest is a good thing in many cases. It just needs mm -hmm. to be at the right time of year and in the right place and to be controlled. What's happening is because baby boomers like you and I are afraid of any fire in the forest, we don't want to do any, want to have anything to do with it. Right. And then the forest builds up all of this underbrush, and when you do have a fire, it comes at the wrong time of year, and it is uncontrolled, and it causes a great deal of damage. So our strategy really is clear. We need to start doing controlled burning and we just have to get over our squeamishness and make it happen. And we're not foolish. We're going to have some help. Um, I know your brother has done some of that already. He's done a, a good bit. bit. And so we would go with his guidance. We've actually done a little bit here um, years ago when we were first clearing here. So we'll, uh, we'll give that a go. We also have a friend here uh, not too far away that we, we sort of lost track of him, but he is also an expert on controlled burning and has used it successfully on his 10 acres. 
So we, we would love to, to make that happen. The other thing that you and I have talked about doing, and I've just not done anything to make it happen, is at least one of us needs to become astute about identifying trees by species. That's right. And, and one reason we'd want to do that, and we think it'll help with this, is that um, we want to certainly be sure that we um, maintain the health of types of trees that are highly adaptable to climate change and perhaps even augment that, plant more of those kinds of trees. But right now, I just look at a tree and I know the basic categories, but, you know, if it's an oak or a hickory or something like that, but I need to be more sophisticated and especially saving and preserving our specimen trees. And knowing which ones are our specimen And knowing which ones are. Trees. That's right. So, well, I think that's about all the time we have for today, but we thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.